How are you? You're here on a really wonderful day. And I only say that because a couple of things. This place in Scripture is quite, quite um, uh, amazing. I said in the first service that I, I really wish that Paul could walk in here and give the message because the message is, is one of, 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 of encouraging, but it is also uh, one of, of, of urgency, of, of, of telling people to get off of, of their duff. Wake up, he is saying. Wake up. Come out of your sleep. The time is now to serve the Lord. And we are going to have communion today. And so tied in with all of this, I'd love for you to just kind of think through as we go through this message on what does, what does this mean to you as far as communion is concerned? How does it, what does this conjure up in your remembrance of the Lord so that you can be thankful and, and give Him thanks for just the, the, the ability and the privilege of being able to have communion right now and to thank Him for his graciousness, you know, that he was forgiven us all of our sin and that he went to the cross and, and died for us so that we don't have to go through the, the Bible ta- calls the second death, that we are freed from that. So would you turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Romans, the 13th chapter. I want to start with uh, verse 10. We, we touched on verse 10 last week, verses 8 and 10, really, and uh, talking about that we are to love, that there should be a genuine godly love within our lives. In fact, it says that, that um, this type of love does no wrong to a neighbor. Look at verse 10 and read with me to uh, the end of this chapter. Look, we, we're only, we only have a couple more pages left, really, of uh, this great book. Just chapters 14, 15, and 16. So we'll uh, see where we're going to go after this. But... Um, I will miss Romans a lot. Romans chapter 13, verse 10 says this. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. It says that um, love is, therefore, the fulfillment of the law. Now, let's read verses 11 through 14 that we are going to study today. And this do, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. And now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is at hand. Let us therefore lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but rather... Verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. It's a very interesting place in Scripture. I I, I challenge you uh, almost to to a person here to, to tell me what do you think Paul means when he says, do this. In other words, he's talking about loving one another. And then he says, for you know the time. Is that what he says? In verse 11, knowing the time. I wonder how many of us here know the time. What time is it? What is he talking about? What does that mean in your life and my life? I believe when you walk out of here today, you're going to have a very clear indication of what Paul means when he says you know the time. You know the time. And I would venture a guess that most of us would say, no, I don't. What does that mean? And I think Paul would want you and me to know. So let's, uh, let's pray. And let's get into this and then let's have a a wonderful time of communion with one another and communion with the Lord.
remembering what he has done for us. Father, I want to thank you for the, the privilege of being able to come here week after week after week and to see your word unfold before our very eyes. Father, we have seen this book of Romans just open up. That We saw in the first 8 to 11 chapters how important salvation is and how that is that comes to us by faith and faith alone. There's nothing that we can do to earn your, your gracious gift of salvation. And then you tell us abruptly in chapter 12 that since we've been given this great gift of salvation, you urge us, you urge us to present our bodies a living and holy sacrifice which is acceptable to you, Father. And not to be conformed to this world, but rather that we would transform ourselves by the renewing of our minds. And so, Lord, we've, we've come to that. We understand and we see that. And now we see Paul encouraging us to love others, even to love those who are unlovely. Blessing, he tells us, to, to bless those who persecute us and, and not to curse them. So we understand, Father, what you're trying to say about this whole idea of love, that we would owe nothing to anyone except to love them. Now, Father, you ask us to waken, waken from our sleep. Teach us, Lord, what you want us to know. Would you open up our eyes so that we might behold wonderful things that come from your law? Would you move me aside, Father, so that I do not hinder the wonders of what you want to say to each of us today as we prepare our hearts to have communion? Lord, thank you for this, this time. Thank you for the people here, every single soul. God, bless them. Bless them and their families, their loved ones, uh, and those that uh, they come in contact with. I pray by the name of Jesus Christ that you would bless us all, Father. Amen. Well, I love you. I really do. It's, it's, it's such a privilege to tell you that. And it's such a privilege to be able to say that with, with a heart that just is so sincere. I just love the fact of being a part of this church. And that's Paul been saying right now. He tells us that genuine godly love does no wrong to a neighbor. That means to anyone. And so after saying that, Paul begins verses 11 through 14 by asking us to wake up. He says, and do this. In other words, love one another. Do this knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. Now, salvation is nearer to us than, than when we believed. Paul's point concerning yours and my loving other people is that if we have this attitude in ourselves as a believer in Jesus Christ and allow God's love to rule within our lives, we are therefore inclined to live a more godly and righteous life. It's, it's for our benefit, Paul is teaching us. And he says this love ought to be genuine. The Bible actually warns against hypocrisy of, of not loving the Lord as properly as we ought to. In the Old Testament as well as the New in, in Mark, the, the seventh chapter, the sixth verse, quotes Isaiah, the Old Testament, chapter 29, verse 13. And Mark quotes saying that Jesus said, listen to this, it's a harsh statement. He said to those that were there listening to him, surrounding him, uh, 
absorbing what he was saying, he said, Rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites. Wow. Calling them hypocrites. He says, It is written, This people honors me with their lips. Now watch. But their hearts, in other words, their obedience, is far away from me, he said. Remember we taught last week that the Lord said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will be obedient to what I am teaching you, the Lord said. And then Isaiah, in the same quotation, saying that these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far away from me, Isaiah adds their reverence for me consists of traditions learned by rote. In other words, they were learned by routine. It was just a routine. Gosh, I hope and pray that church never becomes a routine for us. I hope and pray that it always becomes this freshness in our lives, freshness in our hearts to want to to love and to serve the Lord. I would encourage you, if you have a, a consistency in your life which is good, but this consistency is you always do the same thing with the Lord all the time, and it gets to be rote, that, that not to do that, to freshen it up from time to time. Uh, I try to encourage other people to, to, when you speak to the Lord in prayer, don't go with the these and the thous. You don't say that in your normal speak. Talk to Him as you would your dearest, dearest friend. Let Him know your heart. Jesus said, when you are praying, Matthew chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, when you are praying, He says, don't use meaningless repetition." as the Gentiles do. Gentiles, in this case, meaning those who are not believers. They suppose that they will be heard for their many words. In other words, you don't have to say a lot. Just be honest and sincere with them. He says in verse 8, Do not be like them, because, he says, your Father knows what you need before you even ask of them. Isn't that a beautiful verse? God knows yours and my needs before we even ask Him. And so we don't have to go and and use this meaningless repetition and and think that all of our words are going to impress Him. No, He wants our hearts. He doesn't want us to be hypocrites. He doesn't want us to honor honor Him with our lips and, and yet our hearts be far away from Him. So Paul, after declaring that godly love fulfills the law, now focuses in on yours and my urgency of our becoming more and more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And why? Well, Paul says, the time is now. Wake up. So we are, as verse 12 and verse 14 tells us here in this scripture, we are to put on, in verse 12 it tells us, put on the armor of light. The the light meaning It's a a statement of God. And it's in verse 14. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. The statement put on summarizes yours and my walk, our life, our being set apart, our being sanctified unto the Lord. I want you to, to look with me just for a moment to the right. Hold your place here in Romans. And to the right, you'll find uh, Ephesians. You'll go past 1st and 2nd Corinthians. You'll go to Galatians and then Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, please. I want you to see what Paul is writing about uh, as far as our putting on this armor of light 
putting on Jesus Christ. Paul mentions it here in Ephesians chapter 6. Let's start with verse 10. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Here he goes. Watch. Verse 11. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. So, if you take what he is saying in Ephesians and just bring it back, stay in Ephesians for a moment, but bring it back to Romans 13:11, he is saying that we need to put on, well, actually Romans verses 12 and 14, we are to put on the armor of light and put on Jesus Christ because we are to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Look what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. Your struggle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood, but it is against the rulers, it is against the powers, it is against the world forces of this darkness, it is against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. I love that, that, that Paul tells us to stand firm in our faith. Look, verse 14, stand firm, he says. Gird your loins with truth. Put on, he says, the breastplate of righteousness. Verse 15, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace so that you would be able, oh, excuse me, verse 16, take up the shield of faith which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming missiles of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. Pray. Pray, he says. All times, pray. And so, we are called as believers to continue our spiritual growth. And we are to continue it through our faith in God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so, studying the Bible as we do here is, is critical. It is really important that we get to understand the Word of God. You'll see why in a moment. So, you and I are called to continue our growth. We are to be transformed as chapter 12, verse 2 tells us, by the renewing of our minds, we are to be set apart for the cause of Christ. The faithful, obedient, loving Christian, you and me, we are to grow spiritually by becoming like Jesus Christ. Verse 12 and verse 14. We are to put on Jesus Christ. We are to put on the armor of light. We are to set ourselves apart. And so, now, I think, you're starting to get a feeling of what is Paul saying to us in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. How are we to do all this? Well, that is really quite simple. We are to do that by the renewing of our minds, as we are told in chapter 12, verse 2. Through the faithful study of the Word of God. Just as the book of Psalms, the 119th chapter, the 9th verse, tells us, how can you and I keep our way pure. Well, that same verse answers it by keeping it according to God's word. How can you and I keep our way pure? By keeping it according to God's word. So Paul says here in Romans chapter 13, verse 12 and 14, put on, put on the armor of light, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, he is saying, clothe yourself with the Savior. 
He is saying, put on His righteousness. Put on His truth. His holiness. And all the other attributes that are attributed to our Lord. And in so doing, he says, your love will become more and more evident to people that you surround yourself with. His character will be reflected in and through your life. So Paul encourages you and me, grow up. That's basically what he's saying here. Grow up, for the time is now. Wake up, he says. This verse, verse 11, is almost as if Paul was shouting with urgency. Wake up. Your time is right now. You know, every generation, every single generation, and we, this generation is no exception, has its share of skeptics. Those that, who come to church but question, just like those in Second Peter. L- listen to this verse. You don't have to turn to it. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 4. They questioned God by saying, where's the promise of His coming? Where's that promise? Because ever since the fathers have died, fallen asleep, it says, everything continues just as it was. Nothing's changed. There is no change. Is He coming? I doubt it. He hasn't come in all this time. It's been a couple thousand years. And He's telling us the time is now. Wake up. There's skeptics. Let me say this. He's coming, all right. The deal is that you and I, nobody knows when. We don't. Not even the Son knew. When they asked Him, when will your coming be? He said, only the Father knows. But He is coming. You can mark that for certain. Because no believer who honestly holds to the inerrancy of this, the Word of God, would ever think that Paul or Peter or any of the writers of the Gospel were simply over-anxious about the eminence of Jesus Christ coming back the second time. He's coming. We just don't know when. So Paul writes, do this. In other words, love one another. Don't give up on loving one another because loving another person does no wrong and it fulfills the law. Because he says in verse 11, we're going to get to the crux of this, you know the time. Do you? Here's the crux of this verse. The word time is not the word that we get for a wristwatch or a clock. It's not time that's spinning. It's not that type of time. That time, if it would be mentioned in the Greek, would be C-H-R-O-N-O-S. No, this word for time is K-A-R-O-S. It's speaking of a moment in time that is of special significance. So, take time out as far as the hours that pass by and think about this time being a very special significance within your life. Issues are happening within your life that that are just passing by and you are to take advantage of them. Let me give you just a little story. Please forgive me. It's very personal, but it's it's the best I know of right now because it just happened um, Friday night, I think, or one of the nights. Took out a couple of people from our church who just just serve. Just That's all they do. Just phenomenal. They come to church on Saturday so they can attend church and then they serve throughout the services on Sunday. Wanted to say thank you. Took them out. When we were there, there we went to the um, McEnroe... Macaroni Grill. That's right over here. So we go to that restaurant, and there comes to our, our table 
this, this, this young girl that she's singing to anybody that would ask her to sing uh, a song. And so we were about to be served. Um, her name was Jillian, J-I-L-L-I-N, because they write it on the table. You can't miss it. They write it for you. So I said, Jillian, um, honey, would you pray with us? And she said, yes. And so I grabbed her hand, grabbed my wife's hand, we grabbed hands around the table, and we prayed. Now, I, I do that as a general rule when I go out to eat. I'm not asking you to do that. I just do. It's just something the Lord has me do. Because we were with these other people, I didn't want to embarrass anybody, and I came this close to not asking her to pray with us. This close, because I didn't want to embarrass her. I didn't want to, you know, I didn't want to be this super spiritual guy, right, that's sitting at the table. After we were through, tears in her eyes, she says, nobody, nobody has ever done that with me before. She said, thank you so much. What made you do that? Well, the couple was with her. He's a pastor of a church, which, which I, I didn't want. I didn't want that to be said so much because I didn't want, I wanted her to think about the Lord rather than who was praying at the time. And she was so beside herself that somebody would have prayed with her. That was my time for her. Actually, it was the Lord's time for her. I'm not saying a miracle happened. She fell to her knees and prayed to receive Christ and all of that stuff. What I'm saying is, I don't know what the Lord did with that. That's his business, not mine. My business was the time for me is now. In other words, time right now is a very special significant in my life. The Lord has given me this time to honor him. Let me give you the clearest example of it. In the Bible, in the book of Matthew, the 16th chapter, verses 1, 2, and 3, there are a group of, of uh, religious leaders of the day, Sadducees and Pharisees, and they were trying to entrap Jesus. And so they came to him trying to test him to find out by what authority is he doing what he's doing, and is he really God? Now, as, as some people would have you and me to believe that Jesus never claimed to be God, that is so not true. I mean, everybody in the Bible, when he was there with them, knew exactly who he was. He made no bones about it. They understood who he was. So, rather than them saying, are you really God? Tell us again. They say, show us a sign from heaven to prove who you are. Now, you've got to get this. He's already healed everybody he's come in contact with. He's walked on water. He's fed thousands of people with just a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. He has raised someone else from the dead. Show us a sign, would you? So that, so that we know who you really are? You've got to be kidding. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about this attorney, this lawyer that asked Jesus Christ, what is the greatest commandment? And he, Jesus, didn't ask him a question on his question. Normally, Jesus did that. He does that here. But there, he just said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he says, the second is like the first. You shall love your neighbor as you do yourself. He answered his question straight up. Not here. They asked him, show us a sign from heaven. He answers, when it is evening, and you say, 
there's going to be fair weather tomorrow because the sky is red. And then in the morning you say, there's going to be a storm today because the sky is red and threatening. And so he questions them now in this particular place in Scripture, in Matthew 16, verses 1, 2, and 3. He questions their knowing the time that they are living in. Not the time hour, but the significance of the time that they are living in. And he says to them, You know how to discern the appearance of the sky, but you cannot even discern the signs of the times. The word times there is the same word for time in Romans chapter 13, verse 11. It is K-A-I-R-O-S, which means you are living in a very specific time that you have not even noticed its, its significance. Jesus was speaking about them understanding what God was doing right before their eyes. Goodness gracious. Look who is standing right before them. The Messiah. The promised Redeemer was right there in their faces. The incarnate Son of God, the Christ, the living Son of God was standing there right before their eyes and yet they did not accept anything that He taught, anything that He said, anything that he did. They always wanted him to do. And if you study about people in Scripture, what they wanted from him was always just a simple word, four-letter word, more. They wanted more. But not more so that they could help. They wanted more for themselves. Give us more. More information. Let us know more of who you are. And I wrote down, they wanted him to do more for them not through them. That's the difference. The significance in your life, in my life, is this is a a time in our lives where we should be asking the Lord to be using us. That's why I told you this little story about praying. I mean, listen, that wasn't a big deal. She might have gone home and not even thought a second more about it. But that's not my problem. My problem was using the time that God had given me for His glory. That's all I did it for. They, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that were standing before Christ, they were in the very midst of the time, the very keros, the very special, special time that was there for them, and they are missing it. And that, that, Folks, if you go back to Romans 13, 11, 12, 13, and 14, that's exactly what Paul is saying to you and to me. For that reason, Paul seems to almost shout at us, it's the hour, it is the hour for you to, verse 11, awaken from your sleep. For now salvation is nearer than when we believed. He says in verse 12, The night is almost gone. The day is right near us. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. In other words, stop your apathy. Wake up. Put on Christ. The word for sleep there is, uh, in, in the Encyclopedia Britannica, is a state of inactivity, of 
of consciousness and uh, a, la- a loss of consciousness and a decrease of responsiveness. Therefore, Paul tells them, and he's saying it to you and me, and I'm trying to shout it to you as well. Awaken from your inactivity. Awaken from your lethargic walk with Christ. Awaken from being lazy about all that God wants to do in and through your life because the time is right now. Wake up and get going. That's, I believe, what Paul would tell you. In fact, he said the same thing in the book of Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. He said, awake, sleepers. This is in the fifth chapter, the 14th verse. He says, awake, sleepers, arise from the dead. They weren't dead. He was saying, spiritually, you're dead. Christ, he says, will shine on you. Oh, man, I want that for you. I want that for you. I want that for me. I want to wake up and let the Lord shine through you and me. You see, Paul wasn't speaking to unsaved people there in the book of Ephesus. He was speaking to genuine believers who who were spiritually lethargic. They were apathetic towards their walk. They had no real spiritual life. Arise, awaken, sleepers. That's what Paul is saying to those in Rome, and that's what he's saying to us here in Anaheim Hill. Wake up. Listen to the harshness of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians. 15th chapter, the 34th verse, he warns believers, saying, Become sober-minded, he said. Stop sinning, he said. For some of you have no knowledge of God. He says, I speak this to your shame. I mean, 1 Corinthians 15, 34 is a pretty harsh verse. Become sober-minded, he said. Stop sinning, he said. Some people have no knowledge of God. That's why, folks, we do what we do here. We want you and me, we want us to have some knowledge of this, the Word of God, so that we understand what the Lord is asking of us. And to not have a knowledge of this, the Bible, as some churches don't open up their own Bibles, he says, I speak this to your shame. So he warns, back in Romans chapter 13, as we start to close, and uh, soon, guys, we'll, 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 we'll pass out communion, okay? Not quite yet soon. I'll let you know when. So he warns us. In verse 13, he he mentions six different things. He says, let's behave properly, as in the day. And then he says, don't carouse. Don't be drunk. Stop sexual promiscuity. Stop sensuality. Stop strife and jealousy. Let me tell you what these words mean. They're really, really difficult words to read. The word carousing in in Greek is K-O-M-O-S. It means a, a person who's always wildly partying, having sexual orgies, brawls, rioting. The word drunkenness in the Greek is M-E-T-H-E. It's used of someone who intentionally goes out to get intoxicated, habitually. Sexual promiscuity, the Greek word is K-O-I-T-E, it's, it's everything that we are today as a nation, in my opinion. Forgive me for saying that. But what I, what I see, just the other day, let me just, just the other day, I'm, 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 let me tell you what it means, sexual promiscuity. It literally means going to bed with someone of the opposite sex that you are not married to. 
my wife and I were watching a, a program that we recorded. Enjoyed it. I am a, a fan of, uh, I'm going to tell you a little too much about myself. I, I love Justin Timberlake. I don't know why. I don't know why. I think the guy is cool. I love the song when he says, I'm bringing sexy back. I, I don't know why I love the song. So I say to my wife, who's he married to? So you know what, you, know, you guys know what, uh, uh, phones, the phones where you can speak into it? And it has a person named Suri in that little, little thing. I said, Suri, who's Justin Timberlake married to? And the answer comes back, his partner is Jessica Biel. Not married, partner. I still like Justin Timberlake singing, but I sure wish he'd gotten married. They are? Suri's messed up. <laughs> they are married. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I like that a little bit. That's good. Way to go, Justin. <laughs> Anyways, my point is, though, we are living in a society that, that is that has diminished marriage. And sexual promiscuity is running rampant across this nation of ours. Sensuality, the word is A-S-E-L-G-E-I-A. It has the basic meaning of shameless excess and absence of restraint. Where we're going as a nation. Strife, this one's tough. It's a persistent contention, bickering, disagreement, a spirit of antagonism with having fights just to have their own way, regardless of the cost or the harm for the other person. Man, I've been in ministry long enough to been through enough strife that I don't ever want to go through another one. The last one is jealousy, and that is envy. Someone desiring your position and doing anything to get it. Let's pass out communion. Those words are words that I don't believe hits any one of you here in this room. At least that's my faith for you, my trust in you. I absolutely love this church. I love this place. You know, the first service, um, we had over 170 people. That, that is a really a nice attendance for us. And right now, this, this service is full. And so people are starting to come. Can I have one of those, please? Ah. Thank you, my brother. I love you so much. Thanks. So people are, are starting to come, and, and, and I have a trust in this place, and I have a trust in you that, that goes beyond your wildest dream. I want you to hold on to the, to the juice and the bread for a moment, please. And I want to read to you out of, uh, out of Hebrews. I want to read to you how what we ought to be thinking about. What Paul was saying so far is he is saying, wake up. I'm saying that to you right now. Wake up. If, if you are apathetic about your walk with Christ, if you have grown lethargic and, 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 and not excited about it, uh, I, I would love for you to find that excitement again. I would ask you, I don't want to guide you into what you ought to think as you remember what Christ means to you. I don't want to do that, so I'm going to stay away from that. But I just would encourage you to think about how much you love the Lord. That I would encourage you to do. He asked his disciples that were there with him to, 
when they had the bread, he said, this is my body, he said. When you eat of it, eat of it in remembrance of me. Because he was about to go to the cross. And when he went to the cross and when he gave them some wine to drink, he said, this is my blood. This is a new covenant. My blood that will be shed for you for the forgiveness of your sin. You know, the most beautiful thing that the Lord has given us, a couple things. He's given us a memory so we can remember all that he means to us. And he's also given us the ability to know that our sins have been completely forgiven. He even says, I will take your sins, I'll separate them as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember them no more. I mean, goodness. So listen to these words that were written by the writer of Hebrews, the 10th chapter, the 19th and the 25th verse. I I know that you have your hands full right now, so let me just read to you. It says, Therefore, brethren, talking about us believers, since we have the confidence to enter into the holy place, how do we have the confidence? It says, through the blood of Jesus. The blood is everything to you. In a moment, we are going to take that that juice and we will drink it in the remembrance of what our Lord has done for us when He shed His blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Secondly, it says in verse 20, by a new and living way we can enter into this holy place, which He has inaugurated for us through the veil. In other words, we can walk through the veil. How? Because of His flesh. Because of of His body that He gave for our lives. He gave His life for our lives. Since, it says in verse 21, since we have this great priest, that's Jesus Christ. Let us draw near with a very sincere heart and with full assurance of our faith from an evil, no, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In a moment, we're going to be quiet. I'm going to let you reflect upon anything that you might need to confess unto the Lord. And let me just share with you If there is nothing that's running through your heart right now, you just thank the Lord for that. You don't need to dredge into your past and say, oh, there must be something. There must be something. No, the Holy Spirit will convict you when He needs to convict you of sin. So don't go dredging in. Just allow. My my guess is there's a bunch of us here right now, me included, that already know what we have to deal with. So having our hearts sprinkled clean our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope. That trust that you and I have in Christ, let us hold fast to that without wavering, it says. Because he who has promised is faithful. What God has promised to you, he will fulfill. Now, let me, let me close this up by, this is my point. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and to good deeds. How? It says in the next verse, by not forsaking our, our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. There are some who come to church haphazardly. The writer of Hebrews is saying, don't do that. Make church a critical point, time in, in, in your life, something that is special for you before the Lord. Come and let's gather together. Rather, he says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
The day drawing near is that time that the Lord will be coming back. But it's also that time that is of special significance to you, that God wants to use you. Now, we're going to be quiet for a little bit. Just let you reflect. Uh, Wayne will play some real soft background music. And then in about a minute or so, we'll take communion together, okay? Let's just think for a moment. Father, we uh, just want to give you thanks. I was just reading, Lord, uh, what what had happened on the night before you were betrayed. You told us in 1 Corinthians 11th chapter that you took some bread. And after you had given thanks, you broke the bread, you gave it to your disciples, those who were with you, and you said, this is my body, which is for you. He says, when you eat of it, eat of it remembrance of me. Right after that, he took some wine and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This was to be shed, the blood of Christ. Not this, but the blood of Christ was to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. He says, as often as you drink this, drink it in remembrance of me. Well, I don't know what to tell you. I can't even begin to tell you how much I love you. What a privilege to be able to have communion with you and to think just about our Lord for this moment in time. I pray the rest of this day that you have is just going to be so special. I have no idea where you're going to go, what you're going to do. I just pray that it will be really special for you and that God will really bless you. Thank you so much for being here. I look forward to seeing you every week. And um, I don't know what else to say. Um, I'm early.
Yay. <laughs> yeah, yay. Father, thank you for this day. Lord, we, um, we thank you for Paul who encourages us, who wants us to see the urgency of serving you at the time that we know that is now is not necessarily time on the clock, but it's that special, significant moment that we can serve you, serving you until you come, whenever that would be. Bless us all, Father. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Gosh, I love you guys. Have a great day. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks.